Well, uh, good morning to all of you who have tuned in to our live stream uh, this morning at Anderson Hills United Methodist Church. And uh, many thanks to all of you who came in today uh, to help make this live stream uh, possible. Really appreciate it. And especially uh, to Susan Mahaney, who has had the job of keeping up with all the things that have been going on this past week and then communicating them uh, to you. We really appreciate all the hard work that she has put into that. <laughs> well, this has been quite a week, hasn't it? The coronavirus has taken us by storm. And needless to say that things are constantly changing. Uh, we made the decision Friday to shut down our worship services. Uh, some of our activities are still taking place. Funerals and weddings, for example, are still going on. But, but most everything uh, has been shut down. And it's disrupted everything. This disrupted our economy, it's uh, disrupted our, our work plans, our travel plans, our, and our school plans. In fact, today was to be a Confirmation Sunday for uh, 21 of our ninth graders, but now that's going to have to be uh, postponed to a later date. And all of us are going to be forced to slow down a little bit, spend a lot more time with our families, and uh, hopefully that will be a good thing for all of us. But let's remember during this, this crisis, this storm, to continue to be the church. Uh, let's check in on each other. Check in on your neighbors, especially the vulnerable ones. Uh, don't fight over the last roll of toilet paper uh, because this is stressful for everyone. And let's be praying. Uh, let's be praying that for this crisis, this storm to pass quickly. Uh, let's be praying for those who are afflicted with the virus. And let's pray for wisdom for this world's leaders as they try to deal with this ever-evolving, ever-changing situation. You know, the Apostle Paul found himself in a storm once. Uh, he was on a prisoner uh, bound for Rome when they ran into a, a, a huge storm. It lasted for days, and it looked like the ship was going to go down, that all lives would be lost. The people were in a panic. But Paul stands up, and, and listen to his words. He says this, But now I encourage you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost, and the, only the ship will be destroyed. For last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. You see, the people on this ship have forgotten one thing that must never be forgotten in the midst of the storms of life. God has the final say. God has a plan. God is control of the universe. But there was one person on this ship who had not forgotten. And he's calm and he's confident. He had courage in the crisis. Everybody else is predicting the end of the world, throwing it in the towel, but not Paul. For you see, the, the test of a person's religion is how they handle things in a crisis. Because anybody can believe when things are going right, when the stock market is up, when, 
when you're in perfect health, when, when your prayers are being answered, when your kids are doing well, when you've got that job you've always wanted. But the test of faith is how well we do in the crisis, how well we do in the storm. Our faith is revealed in the hard times of life. Why was Paul calm in this crisis? He knew God was with him. You see, storms can never hide the face of God. You may, not, you may not see him, but he sees you. And you may feel and think that God is a, is a million miles away, but he's there right beside you. Wherever you are, God is there. And you never go through a storm without him. No matter what situation you're going to go through, God is willing to help you go through it. And you see, God, Paul knew that the purpose of God would be fulfilled. God had a purpose for Paul. He was going to, to Rome to fulfill the, the plan of God, and nothing was going to thwart that plan. Yeah, the storm was going to sidetrack them. It was going to get them off course. It was going to delay them. It wasn't going to be smooth sailing, but God was going to be sure that Paul got to Rome, and God will do the same for us. God will take care of us. So remember that God is with us, and that God is going to get us through this. Well, there's a, another storm that uh, Jesus is about to go through as well in our scripture lesson for today. Uh, we find it in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him and saying, I need to be baptized by you, and, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now, for it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Now listen. Jesus was then led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So, so John is, is, is preaching his fiery message of, of baptism and, 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 uh, and repentance and, and those who come to the Jordan River uh, are being baptized by him. And when Jesus approached him and, and asked to be baptized... And John is more than reluctant. He recognizes that Jesus is the greater. And, and so he says, hey, I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus insists. He says, do it. God's work, putting all things right again, is coming together right now at this baptism. Our early Christian writers, they struggled with this. Because traditional Mediterranean culture was honor-based the lesser always served the greater. And so this is totally flip-flopped. But in doing this, Jesus shows that his life is going to be based on something quite different. Humility and service. So John baptized Jesus and the skies opened up and the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descended on Jesus and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now imagine what that must have felt like to have the Father's approval and to have heard that voice of affirmation. 
All three members of the Holy Trinity present there at that one moment. Jesus receives the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and now he is ready for what is to come. And God does the same for us. When we are baptized, we receive a God's mark of approval. We are declared his child. Last week, we read the scripture from John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12, that says, To those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Isn't that amazing? And in our baptism liturgy, we pray for the, the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon the newly baptized person because, folks, it, it is useless to try to live the Christian life without the presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I find myself praying almost every day for a, a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit if I'm going to meet the challenges the day has. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to, to face his crisis, his storms of life, I'm going to need the Holy Spirit as well. Well, chapter 4 begins this way. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, isn't that interesting? And, and Mark's version is even stronger. Mark's gospel says the Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness. Now, why in the world would the Spirit of God lead Jesus into this God-forsaken place. And the only possible answer that I can come up with was to test him. Yeah, Jesus was fully divine, but let's not forget he was also fully human and subject to all the same struggles that you and I have to face, including temptation to make wrong choices. You see, temptation begins up here, doesn't it, in our thought life? Possibility plus indecision equals temptation. And whenever two or more strong opinions, two strong options meet, we have a choice. And who of us here hasn't spent a sleepless night tossing and turning, scanning every avenue and, and settling on nothing? So like you, and like you, I've had to make choices throughout my life. And some of them have been simple, like how do I spend a few dollars, or how do I spend a few hours, or, or how do I use the weekend. But at other times, I've had to make huge decisions that were painfully complex and important. Where do I go to college? Do I marry this person that I have fallen in love with? Do I take a job that offers a promotion but requires me to move my family? And sometimes... Sometimes these choices tempt me to skirt the edges of right and wrong with a promise of something that's exciting and glittery. But, but generally temptation for me really comes as a full frontal assault. Usually temptation comes in the back door. Sometimes it comes as something I think I deserve. And sometimes, if I'm honest, I simply take the easiest route, the easiest choice. We cannot for the life of us put the struggle away and so we toss and we turn. We, we test new perspectives. We're anxious. We're afraid, wondering what will work best. And if we're people of faith, hopefully we, we pray about it and hoping that God will send a message that will give us some guidance, maybe a, a big finger in the sky that will point us to the right direction. And we get mad at ourselves for our lack of of decision. But my friends, here, here's, 
here's a truth you can take to the bank. That every committed Christian, everybody here in this room and, and everybody who's watching us online today is going to spend time in that wilderness of temptation. And oftentimes it follows a, 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 a spiritual high moment. Go on a Christian retreat or attend a, a Christian conference. Go on a mission trip, a, the walk to Emmaus, or, or be baptized and, and join the church. And the next day, I promise you, there'll be a testing an opportunity to turn back and head down the wrong way. And I've had many men and women come to me because they find themselves in the wilderness. And in fact, I've had so many come to me that I believe that it's a normal part of the spiritual growth process. That God actually allows us to go through these experiences to give us the opportunity to grow closer to Him. And when we find ourselves struggling with difficult and painful ethical and spiritual decisions, and they're not easily resolved, and out of this wilderness experience, we either make choices that cause us to grow closer to God, or we make choices that cause us to grow farther away. Now, why does God do this? Maybe to, to wean us away from the milk of a purely emotional childish faith to a solid mature faith maybe to train our minds to, to begin to distinguish between good and evil right and wrong and and to begin opening up our ears to the call of the spirit just the other day i had an opportunity to make the right choice it was a small little choice i, I was talking to someone and a, a sarcastic thought popped into my brain and i had a second or two to to dismiss this, the thought. Instead, I kind of allowed it to kind of rumble around up here in my brain. I allowed it to hang around in my mind a little bit too long, and before you know it, guess what happened? It popped out. And instantly, I had to apologize to the person I made the sarcastic remark to. What do you think would happen to my ability to make godly decisions if time after time I refused to deal with uh, those negative thoughts that I allow myself to listen to and to act upon? My spiritual life would be diminished. In fact, my faith life could gradually grow cold if I persisted. Well, how does Jesus handle this? Well, he's been fasting 40 days. My guess is that food is high on his priority list. And even the rocks are looking good enough to eat. And so Satan knows that Jesus is hungry. And so he attacks him at his weak point. And he says, turn these stones into bread, Jesus. You can do it. You can do this miracle. And doesn't that seem like a good idea? It makes sense. It seems logical. It seems reasonable. But what looks like a good idea sometimes isn't. And Jesus sees through the enemy's trick to get him to abuse his divine power, to satisfy his own fleshly needs. And so he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. It is written that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's more to life than eating. We live by what comes out of God's mouth, not by what goes into our mouth. The word of God is my life and my bread. And so the devil tries a different approach. 
He takes him to the holy city and, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Notice, first of all, that he calls his sonship into question. He says what? If you are the son of God. So if you are really God's son, then dazzle all these humans. Perform a, a spectacular feat. Throw yourself down off this high building. Why not? You can do it, and God will protect you. And notice, too, that the devil quotes Scripture. Psalm 91. Did you know the, the devil knows the Bible? <laughs> but Jesus knows it better. He knows it's been twisted and taken out of context. And so Jesus goes back to Deuteronomy again. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You don't tempt God with such foolishness. And then the third temptation. He says, okay, Jesus, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you total authority and power over the earth. It's mine to give you just one little thing, one little string that's attached to this. Bow down and worship me. Wow. What an offer. Power, wealth, influence, popularity. But Jesus sees through it all. And he says, no, God deserves my all. And to his will alone will I be obedient. Jesus faces the crisis and runs into three temptations, three choices, three decisions. Forget the main road. Forget the road to Calvary. Take this easy path. Use your divine power to grab what you want. But Jesus says no, and he chooses the hard road of obedience. And he lets you and me see him dealing with the hard choices. I mean, think about that. Nobody witnessed this test except Jesus. And so he must have come back and, and told his disciples this story so that it could be written down for you and I to read. See, he wanted to demonstrate for us obedience and victory. He wanted us to see him struggle with making right decisions. He's been in the wilderness, he's been tested, and he's been found true. And do you know how he stayed true? I think it's because he knew what his, what his purpose was. He knew where he was from and, and where he must go, and nothing was going to sidetrack him from that. And that's how you and I will also make right decisions in the days to come. You see, when we are facing those choices, they look on the surface to be so right, but they're so wrong. What will keep us on the right track will be the Holy Spirit inside of us, reminding us of God's word, reminding us that we are his children, reminding us that, that we are a baptized child of God, that we belong to him, that we have a purpose in life. And, and if we can stay grounded in that reality, then we can make right choices every time. And so I would say the wilderness is not necessarily a, a negative evil. In fact, it may be a necessary good because it makes us really struggle to find out God's will for us. 
It makes us come to grip with who we are and where we're going. It forces us to to think, to redirect our lives, to decide how we're going to be and, and how we're going to live. And in the end, we're going to have a closer walk with Christ. So I would say temptations are part and parcel of the Christian life. Expect them. Each appealing possibility drives us to decision. And oftentimes we're going to get lost. We're going to move sometimes from day to day without a clear sense of direction. Expect that. But Jesus avoided that by staying focused on the central thrust of his life. He avoided the easy way. He avoided the wrong way. He avoided the traps that sometimes ensnare you and me. Well, Jesus has been baptized. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He has been tested in the wilderness, and he's been found true. He's ready now to start his ministry. He calls his disciples, and he begins to teach and preach and to heal the sick. You see, being baptized and joining the church isn't about having your name on the membership roll so that you can access benefits. Here at Anderson Hills, we don't have a a gold card membership We don't have a platinum card membership. In fact, really, it's about a call to follow Jesus. And listen, the call to follow Jesus is the call to die. That's the invitation. Jesus said to all who want to be my disciples, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Man, this is hard stuff. Jesus makes his invitation. He welcomes anybody who will come after him. But he also makes it clear that when you choose to follow him, that you're giving up everything so that you can do ministry, so that you can serve each other. You see, when Jesus called Peter and James and and John, it says, when they had brought their boat to shore, they left everything and followed him. Does that make you nervous? (laughs) It makes me nervous. Do we have to leave everything? Maybe yes. Maybe no. But for those three fishermen, it did. For you see, as long as Peter and James and John hung onto their nets, they were going nowhere with Christ. Before they could follow Jesus, they had to let go of their nets. And that may be true for some of us. Anything that inhibits, anything that prohibits my non-negotiated commitment to follow him. So Jesus calls us to leave everything and be his disciples. So let me end by asking you this question. What? What storm are you facing right now? What crisis are you dealing with? What temptation is in your life? And it may be the most basic, fundamental choice that all of us must make. Will I go the Lord's way or will I choose my own way? See, we cannot sit on the fence on this one. To not choose is to choose. It must be one way or the other because there are no other choices. Who will we choose to follow? Let's pray. Well, God, we pray for all who are going through a storm right now, a time of testing, a time of hardship. 
God, we pray for our nation. We pray for all nations that are going through this difficult time. So strengthen us, heal us, draw us closer. And in these difficult times, O oh God, help the church to be the church. Help us, Lord, to be better together, we pray. Amen.